Welcome to the podcast of the First Baptist Church of Gray, Georgia. Led by Pastor Randy Darnell, FBC Gray seeks to help people of all walks of life find Jesus and give Jesus away. If you are ever in the middle Georgia area, we would love to see you at one of our services. You can learn more about us at fbcgray.org. Now let's join Pastor Randy as we take another look into God's Word. something I want to address before we, before we go into Daniel chapter 8, which is where we're going to be tonight, this morning, so go ahead and be looking that up. But uh, I've had some things come in my inbox. I get lots of stuff that, um, you know, different things people send to me from time to time. And there's been a theme from one of them that I've, I, want to, I want to tell you. Number one, don't send it to me no more. And, and number two, y'all don't need to believe this stuff no more, okay? Let me help you understand something. The mark of the beast, the mark of the beast. Number one, that thermometer, that they, it cannot give you the mark of the beast. Number one, got it? It cannot give, don't laugh. There are people that believe. That, no, listen, when the time comes, when the time comes that the Antichrist is here and we've gone through tribulation and all the things that happen, it will be very plain and obvious what the mark of the beast is. Let me throw you a curveball, if there is one. Now, here's the deal. Here's the deal. We're going to study all this. We'll get to Revelation. But here's what I want you to think about. What is the mark of me being a Christian? I want somebody to whisper it out loud. No. That's part. That's visible. What else? What seals me as a Christian? The Holy Spirit. And because I have the Holy Spirit, my actions will be out there and you'll see who I am. The Holy Spirit's the mark. Can you see it? Is there a cross on my forehead or a cross on my hand? But you know what? When they let me back in the hospital again to go visit people, they know I'm a preacher when I walk in the door. I wear the same clothes you wear. I walk the same way you walk, except a little limp every now and then because I'm an old man. Just like you, I walk in the door, and they know when I walk in the door that I'm a preacher. And I've asked them before, I said, how do you know? And they said, we just know. How do they just know? Because I'm sealed by the Holy Spirit, and they smell Jesus all over me. And it's not that I'm, no, it is just that's the way this thing works. So what I want, and, and they're, Maybe don't get all tizzy going home, Randy, saying, Randy, don't believe in the Bible. That would be nonsense. Don't be going all that. What I want you to do is I want you to understand, nobody's going to be able to trick you into, into taking the mark of the beast. You won't walk away from getting the mark of the beast and going, oh, no, what do I do now? I didn't mean to get this. That ain't going to happen. That ain't going to happen. So all of the conspiracy stuff that's going through, that, that comes through and, and, you know, forward this if you're a Christian, or if you don't forward this to 50 people, you'll die tomorrow, your mom will get cancer or some stupid something like that. Just delete it. Mama will be fine, and it ain't true. Y'all, please, take a deep breath, get past this stuff, all right? That's the first lesson. Second lesson's in this, and I hope I, I, I maybe... You know, I hope nobody's offended by that. And I hope you don't freak out when I said there may not actually be a physical mark. But we're going to study all that when we get in Revelation. 
and, uh, and we'll be there. So, Daniel chapter 8. I was talking to somebody uh, about our Daniel study the other day, and they mentioned that when we talked about the beast with four heads, that that really was, was frightening to them. They were literally, literally afraid because of that. And I thought to myself, I didn't say it out loud because I don't think it would have went over real well, but I thought to myself, good, good. I'm glad you were afraid. That's what you were supposed to be. You're supposed to be scared when we read these things. In Daniel 8, which is where we are today, we're going to see some things in there that are frightening there too. Now, if you remember, just to catch everybody up, first six chapters of Daniel were narrative. They were storytelling. We learned about Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel. But then we get to chapter 7, and we get to dreams and visions in chapter 7. It's a different style of writing called apocalyptic. And that's what, what uh, Revelation is, is apocalyptic. It's a different style of literature altogether. And what it's designed to do is to convey information and to convey emotion at the same time. It is not just to give you a list of things to know. It wants to tap into things in you to get you to feel it, to, to be emotionally involved by it. So when you hear the message of it, you can be relieved. That's really the way this thing, the way this thing operates. The visions are, are very, very frightening. If you, if you had one of Daniel's visions in your dreams, you'd call it a nightmare. You'd wake up in a cold sweat. It may be one of those where you yell and wake everybody in the house up. You wake up terrified. And that's good. And that's good. Because life can be frightening. And that's what it's trying to get us into. In order for us to get to Daniel's point, we have to be vividly aware that life can be very frightening. So that when we understand and we remember it, then when we get the answer, we realize we don't have to be afraid. That's what this is working on here. Now think about it with me. If you watch the news, if you watch any of the news at all, what do you think about the riots? How do these riots make you feel? When a rioter in New York, in the height of all the riot, riots, said he was going to bring it to the suburbs, how did that make you feel? When you're watching television and you see the amateur video shot of the people that are just sitting in a sidewalk cafe, which you've done, you've gone somewhere and you've sat on the sidewalk and ate and you know, or you're outside at the pickle barrel, eating outside, or any place you go downtown Macon, and, and they've got down the street set, and you're set there eating. These people are just sitting there in Sidewalk Cafe. All of a sudden, the road fills up with riders, and people start screaming at them, and you start thinking, that could have been me? How's that make you feel? When you were told that granddaddy had COVID, or when you were told that you had COVID, how did that make you feel? When you were told that you had cancer, or you had a heart attack, or COPD, or congestive heart failure, or a crazy reaction to a medicine, or you told that, were told that you're allergic to something that you almost cannot avoid, how did that make you feel? When you're a parent, and your kids go away to college, and the phone rings at 3 o'clock in the morning, <laughs> Have you been there? I can tell you right now, when the phone's ringing, you're just terrified to pick it up. How does that make you feel? Life 
can be very frightening. Apocalyptic is written to tap into that fear, that sense of powerlessness, that sense of helplessness that we all have. If you've ever sat by the bedside of somebody dying, there is absolutely nothing you can do. I don't care how tough you are, how rough you are, how individualistic you are, how powerful you are anywhere in the world. When you're sitting beside that person, there's not a ding-dang thing you can do but sit and stare. It's all you can do. No matter how much you want to change it, no matter how much you want to help, no matter how much you're screaming for this not to happen, there's not a blessed thing you can do but spectate. That's all. And apocalyptic, apocalyptic taps into that fear. It taps into that powerlessness. It taps into that helplessness. So when we are on the edge of despair, we hear God whisper in our ear, I've got the cure. And you can lean back and go, all right, it's good. It's good. All right, Daniel chapter 8, here we go. We're going to read the whole whole thing, not all at once, just bits and pieces so that we can take it apart as we go. Verses 1 and 2 of Daniel chapter 8 says, In the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar, a vision appeared to me, Daniel, after which appeared to me at the first. And I saw in the vision, and and when I saw, I was in Susa, the citadel, which is in the province of Elam, and I saw in the vision... And I was at the Uli Canal. Okay, he's just giving us the setting. The thing about this particular vision of Daniel is he's wide awake. He's not asleep. This is the freaky thing to me. You're just standing there, and all of a sudden now you're somewhere else. You're just standing there, minding your own business. Daniel's in Babylon somewhere, just doing what you do in Babylon when you're Daniel. And all of a sudden, he's transported to this place in his mind, or maybe, I don't know how, but he's transported to this place called Susa. Susa was the winter home of the Persian kings. It was a citadel. It was considered to be the center of power. It's located 150 miles from the Persian Gulf in what is modern day Iran. We found it. It was abandoned in the 1200s. We found it. We were excavating it and making all kinds of discoveries until 1979. And some of you remember what happened in 1979. The last Persian emperor, he wasn't called an emperor, Persian monarch was deposed in 1979, and the Ayatollah Khomeini took over, and we don't know what they're doing with this thing now. Can't get to it. Don't know what's going on. Verses 3 and 4. 3 and 4 says, I raised my eyes and saw, and behold, a ram standing at the bank of the canal. It had two horns, and both horns were high, but one was higher than the other, and the higher one came up last. I saw the ram charging westward and northward and southward. No beast could stand before him, and there was no one who could rescue from his, uh, rescue from his power. He did as he pleased, and he became great. The ram was the Medeo-Persian Empire. We've mentioned that so many times, y'all probably wish I'd quit talking about it. One horn was longer than the other because the Persians were stronger than the Medeans were. It became the greatest empire on the face of the earth. It covered more territory than any empire had ever covered before. They were the biggest, baddest army around. Nobody could touch them. Verses 5 through 8. As I was considering, behold, a male goat came from the west across the face of the whole earth without touching the ground, and the goat had a conspicuous horn between his eyes. He came to the ram with the two horns, which I had seen standing on the bank of the canal, 
and he ran at him in his powerful wrath. I saw him come close to the ram, and he was enraged against him, and struck the ram and broke his two horns. And the ram had no power to stand before him, but he cast him down to the ground and trampled on him. And there was none who could rescue the ram from his power. Then the goat became exceedingly great, but when he was strong, the great horn was broken. And instead of it, there came up four conspicuous horns toward the four winds of heaven. Now, I have an image in my mind from an old cartoon, and I think it's Popeye, but I can't remember. But in this cartoon, and y'all have seen at least some like it, there's an animal that's running towards something, but he's running so fast that his little legs become like wheels. Y'all have seen that? You know what I'm talking about? And he's charging across wherever he's charging across, and he's not touching the ground. He's going so fast. I'm not connecting with y'all, am I? Y'all have never seen that cartoon. It's cool. I'll find it. We'll post it on YouTube or something so you can see it. But that's the image. That's terrible when you're making an image and nobody catches on to it. That's just really bad. But anyway, that's the image that, that's going on here. It says a male goat came from the west without touching the ground. He's, the image is he's going so fast. He is going so fast, not even touching the ground. The goat crashes into the ram wide open. Ram never had a chance. Horns are broken off. The, the goat uh, viciously, hatefully jumps up and down on the ram until he's dead. The goat has a conspicuous horn. Conspicuous means that it's proud. He's arrogant. He's meant to be seen. This is Alexander the Great. Anybody ever hear of Alexander the Great? This is Alexander the Great. Anybody in here... 21 years old-ish, 20, 21, 22, anybody in that age group? Yeah, there you go. I see a hand in the back, 20, 21 years old. Yeah, Alexander the Great was the general of the Greek army at 21 years old. He was the general. He was the big dog daddy of the entire Greek army at 21 years old. At 26 years old, Alexander the Great had conquered the entire known world. Conspicuous Alexander the Great was so arrogant that when he got and conquered his last city, the mythology surrounding him says that he broke down in tears because there was no more land to conquer. That's the kind of guy Alexander the Great was. He took 34,000 men. Y'all remember us talking about King Darius. He took 34,000 men. King Darius had 100,000 men and 10,000 horsemen. And he took his 20,000 men, uh, I'm sorry, his 34,000 men, he went up against this 110,000-man army and made them turn tail and run. He killed 20,000 of their people, and he lost 100. He was a great, great military genius is what he was. In 331 B.C., Alexander the Goat, the Great, smashed the ram to pieces, and he ended the Persian Empire. But Alexander died young. He died at 33. The horn was broken off. Four horns came up in his place. There were four generals that took his place. Each one took a quadrant of the kingdom. So that's what Daniel's seeing here. In one of those quadrants, one person sort of exceeded all of the rest. Verses 9 through 14. Out of one of them, can y'all stay with me here? There's, this is not a history lesson. There's, there's points that apply to us. Out of one of them came a little horn, which grew exceedingly great toward the south, toward the east, and toward the glorious land. 
It grew great, even to the host of heaven. And some of the host and some of the stars, it threw down to the ground and trampled on them. It became great, even as great as the prince of the host. And the regular burnt offering was taken away from him, and the place of his sanctuary was overthrown. And a host will be given over to it because with the regular burnt offering, because of the transgression, and it will throw truth to the ground, and it will act and prosper. Then I heard a holy one speaking, and another holy one said to the one who spoke, For how long is the vision concerning the regular burnt offering, the transgression that makes desolate, and the giving over of the sanctuary and the host to be trampled underfoot? And he said to me, For 2,300 evenings and mornings, then the sanctuary shall be restored to its rightful state. Now, this vision is more than just fortune-telling. It's more than just a glimpse into the future. If this was just a glimpse into the future, then God would be wasting his time. That's not the way God rolls to let us know what's going to happen. There's, there's a purpose when he does give prophecy about what's going to come. So here's the purpose. The little horn that it talks about, the little horn, he grew exceedingly great in all directions, but in one direction in particular, toward the glorious land toward Jerusalem. That's the reason the story. What God's doing here, now remember we talked about, we studied the Old Testament, y'all stay with me. When we talked about the Old Testament, what we talked about was, is the Old Testament taught us how God works in the affairs of, the, of people and how we can expect God to operate. He's operate, he operated this way then, he's going to operate the same way now. He gets involved with his people. Well, what he did at this time is he showed Daniel what's going to happen in the second century B.C. So that the people in the second century, when all of this starts happening, all of this is coming down, they will know what's happening and they will know that it's going to be over. See, if I know something's coming and I know kind of how it's going to work out, it's not quite as scary to me. And that's what God's doing for these people. He's laying a foundation. There's going to be a king come up or a small horn that's going to come up who is going to persecute God's people. God is letting them know that he will deliver them from the horror that's going to come. The horror's name was Antiochus Epiphanes. Now I've got to give you, I've got, I've, we've got to do the history, guys, so y'all just stay in there with me. That's a picture. That was on a coin that's what Antiochus Epiphanes was supposed to look like. Not the owl, but the, the other thing there. His real name was Antiochus IV. He thought he deserved a better name than that. You know, you get to thinking about your name sometimes. Mama named me Stephen Randall Darnell, and she called me Randy. And I've always thought, you know, I'd really kind of really been called Stephen. Stephen's sort of cool. Stephen's in the Bible. Stephen's a good name. But, you know, I was Randy, so there I go. Well, he thought Antiochus was okay, but it needed a little more. So he named himself Theos Antiochus Epiphanes, which means the illustrious God. Yeah, you think he thought pretty much good of himself? He named himself the illustrious God. Now, behind his back, <clears throat> excuse me, behind his back, everybody called him Epimenes. Instead of Epiphanes, they called him Epimenes, because Epimenes means madman. But they only called him Epimenes behind his back. They didn't call it to him to his face, because he was a madman. He killed many of God's people. The, the scripture says he threw hosts to the ground. That's why he's talking about it. He killed many of God's people. 
He executed high priest when the scripture says some of the stars it threw down to the ground and trampled them. He executed the high priest. They were the stars in that area. He ended the sacrifice to Jehovah. He erected a statue of Zeus in the temple. He sacrificed pigs first. You know, pigs aren't kosher. The, uh, the Jewish people aren't really down with bacon. They don't know what they're missing. But they couldn't, you know, they did, pigs were a no-no. So he, because he was an evil, mean person, the first thing he did was sacrifice a pig on the altar of Jehovah just to let them know that I don't care what you think. I can do what I want to do. Don't mess with me. I'll kill you. That doesn't ring to us too much, but let's, let's put it this way. Y'all have heard of the Netflix things, you know, the new Cuties movie that's the, what, child porn that's on Netflix? Yeah, what if somebody came into our sanctuary and says, y'all know, whatever y'all want to do don't work, we're going to show that movie on these screens. Now you'd get, you'd get a little dander up, wouldn't you? We're going to start showing porn in the church. How would you feel? That's what they felt. That's how that worked with them. He will throw truth to the ground. He burned every copy of the Jewish scriptures that he could find. He outlawed Judaism. He would not allow kosher meat in all of, in all of his territory. So the people had to eat meat that they thought would defile them. He waited until they gathered for worship. And then when he had a crowd, he sent his army in to kill them. This is what a great guy he was. Antiochus Epiphanes. He will act and prosper. Now here's the killer. And this is what it kind of looks like in our world today. He does these things and he looks like he's unstoppable. And God's people are going to suffer. And God's people are tempted to despair. And they would despair if God didn't prepare them. All right, last section, 15 through 27. When I, Daniel, had seen the vision... I sought to understand it. Behold, there stood before me one having the appearance of a man. And I heard a man's voice between the banks of the Uli, and it called, Gabriel, make this man understand the vision. So he came near where I stood, and when he came, I was frightened and fell on my face. Makes sense. But he said to me, understand, O son of man, that the vision is for the time of the end. And when he had spoken to me, I fell into a deep sleep with my face to the ground. But he touched me, and he made me stand up. And he said, behold... I will make known to you what shall be at the latter end of the indignation, for it refers to the appointed time of the end. As for the ram that you saw with the two horns, these are the kings of Medea and Persia, and the goat is the king of Greece, and the great horn between his eyes is the first king. As for the horn that was broken, in the place of it four others arose, four kingdoms shall arise from his nation, but not with his power. At the latter end of their kingdom, when the transgressors have reached their limit, a king of bold face who understands riddles shall arise. His power shall be great, but not by his own power. And he shall cause fearful destruction and shall succeed in what he does and destroy mighty men and people who are the saints. By his cunning, he shall make deceit prosper under his hand. And in his own mind, he shall become great. Without warning, he shall destroy many and he shall rise up uh, he shall even rise up against the prince of princes. He shall be broken, but by no human hand. The vision of the evening and the morning that has been told is true, but seal up the vision, for it refers to many days from now. And I, Daniel, was overcome and lay sick for some days. Then I rose and went about the king's business, but I was appalled by the vision, and I did not understand it. 
Daniel wanted to know what the vision meant, and this voice cries out from the middle of the river, and the voice says to Gabriel, go and tell this man what it means. Y'all know who Gabriel is? Gabriel, we know him from hindsight. Gabriel's the angel that came to Zechariah to tell him that his wife was going to have John the Baptist. Gabriel is the angel that came to Mary to tell Mary that she was going to have Jesus. Gabriel is the one that in the book of Luke says that he stands in the presence of God and he brings God's message. So in this vision, he gets God's message and it's good news. Now, here's something that's misunderstood real quick. The, it says that it's for the time of the end. It's not talking about the end of time. It's talking about the end of what's going to happen here. So don't, don't be confused by that. Some people want to put this at the end of time. It's not at the end of time. It's, it's happening in the second century B.C. Gabriel wakes up. Uh, oh, uh, yeah, I forgot that part. Daniel fainted. He handled it real well. Just fainted dead as a rock. Gabriel wakes Daniel up, give him the good news. He says the atrocities will last for 2,300 evenings and mornings. It's saying that this hardship is going to have a starting point, and this hardship is going to have an ending. And it was a literal 2,300, 2300 days that this happened. It actually occurred in history in that 2,300-day time period. He says that his power will be great, but not by his own power, that God is allowing him to have this power. He's not powerful on his own. He can't, he cannot overcome God, he's saying. He'll be a great politician. He'll kill a lot of people. He'll rise up against the king, and he will be defeated, but not by human hands. People won't stop him, but God will stop him. So God's message to those people in the future is simple and clear. Don't despair. I've not left you. I'm not looking for a cure. I am the cure. So there you go. Great history lesson, Randy. You're going to let us out about five minutes early. Well, you know better than that. There's application in here. When we stop and listen to it, what do we say? Old Testament, God is showing us how he operates, how things work. I feel, I've, I've said this probably more times than I ever need to say it. It's probably wrong for me to say it. But I always feel sort of bad sometimes when I'm, when I'm preaching because I'm not telling y'all how to overcome anxiety I'm not telling you how to overcome guilt. I'm not telling you if you'll follow these seven principles that you'll become wealthy. If you do these things, you'll be healthy. I don't have these great flowery sermons that have all the, the, you know, the big name guys do and all that kind of stuff. I'm just telling you what the Scripture says. And what the Scripture says here to us is this is how God operates. And if you will remember this, if you will remember this is how God operates, when you go through times like this, you can take a step back and go, it's going to be okay. God's got this thing. It's going to be okay. While everybody else is wigging out that they're worried that the thermometer is going to give them the mark of the beast, you can lean back and go, you know what, this is cool. That's cool. Just take my temp. Everything's fine. We're all going to be okay. So what does this scripture teach us about God and how things operate? About life. First, evil always oversteps itself. Evil always oversteps itself. In verse 25, by his cunning he shall make deceit prosper. He's going to tell lies. Y'all, we listen to politicians. What, and, and, and the crazy thing about politicians is, is we've got video now. So we can go back 
And we can show the video that has them saying, well, that room's blue. And they're standing in the blue room and they're going, well, the room's green and everybody knows the room's green and the room's always been green. And you're going, dude, you're standing in a blue room. You were in the blue room before. But they just tell the lies with impunity. And we are all supposed to sit there and go, oh, well. And there are people that believe what they're saying. And you're going, what's the matter with you people? Are you crazy? That's what he's saying here. These things happen. By his cunning, he shall make deceit prosper he'll tell lies of people who believe him under his hand and in his own mind i love this and in his own mind he shall become great he is literally a legend in his own mind the bible says so without warning he shall destroy minute uh, he'll destroy many you think everything's going to be fine and then all at once everything breaks down he will rise up, uh, let's see, uh, and he shall even rise up against the prince of princes. He'll rise up against God, and he shall be broken, but by no human hand. This scripture shows us it's not enough for evil to be evil. Evil is always going to go, go for its ultimate goal, and that's to replace God. It is always going to go to replace God. That's what evil does. It will always overstep itself. Secondly, no matter how great a person is, their greatness is limited by God. No matter how powerful a person is, their greatness is limited by God. In verse 24, his power shall be great, but not by his own power. We studied this. We studied when we went through the book of Romans. The governments and rulers are in their places because God allows them to be in their places. Third, Satan has a pattern, and this one bugged me. Satan has a pattern. Satan's first order of business is to disrupt worship. Satan's first order of business is to disrupt worship. On March the 14th, Governor Kent shut down everything in the state of Georgia, and he asked churches, he didn't make us, he asked churches to close in-person worship. Today is September the 13th, almost exactly six months to the day, and we're mostly reopened. But many of our people still are uncomfortable coming back, and they're going to stay away for a little while longer, and some of our people are never going to come back. I mean, I've talked to other preachers, and we're, it's, it's just a fact of life. We've all kind of made our minds up. There are going to be people that are never going to darken the door of the church again. They've found a new way to be. In Los Angeles, California this morning, this morning, this day, Dr. John MacArthur and the Grace Community Church are scheduled to meet in worship at 10.30 a.m. Pacific time in Los Angeles, California. This week, this past week, a judge ruled that Grace Community Church cannot meet in person. It's illegal. Well, they've been meeting in person now for weeks against the county ordinance, and now they've been told by a judge that they must follow this county ordinance or they will get a $1,000 fine per day and possibly sent to prison. And they're going to meet today at 1030 Pacific in person in their church. And you say, well, that's science. Well, no, no, it's not science because if there had been an outbreak of COVID in Grace Community Church, they would have had an outbreak by now. They've been meeting in person in their church, singing and worshiping for weeks, and they have not become a COVID hotspot. So it's not science, it is government control, 
And that church in California is standing up saying, we are going to meet for worship. And it's going to be very interesting to see what happens today. Will John MacArthur, Big John, John going to go to jail today? Will his church members go to jail today? Satan's first order of business is to disrupt worship. Satan's second order of business is to disrupt, uh, disrupt the fellowship. Jerry Falwell Jr. Anybody heard that name in the news lately? Good old brother Jerry. Lord have mercy. If the allegations against him are true, think about what that's going to do to the fellowship of anybody associated with Liberty University or any pastor for that matter. Every time this kind of thing happens, I can feel a little bit of mud get slung on me. Come on, guys. Get your head together. Fellowship has been disrupted. Satan destroys mighty men and people who are the saints. And destroy doesn't mean just kills them. Destroy means the landscape is littered with people who have listened to temptation, just that one little whisper that you won't get caught this time. And closer to home, how many church splits have you heard about? How many church splits have you participated in? Do you think that church, church people fight because God wants church people to fight? If you do, you need to show me chapter and verse on that one. I can show you church discipline in the scripture. I can't show you where it says that church people ought to fight with each other. Satan's second order of business is to disrupt the fellowship. And again, our churches got closed. What did that do to our fellowship? I don't know about you, I got hungry wanting to see you. I wanted, I wanted, I missed seeing people on Sunday morning. Third, Satan's third order of business is to disrupt doctrine. It says, and a host will give it over to it together with regular burnt offerings because of transgressions, and it will throw truth to the ground. The, um, uh, one of the top survey groups, one of the top survey groups did a survey of evangelicals. That's us, guys. We're, we're evangelicals. Evangelicals believe in the authority of Scripture, that, you know, it's in divinely inspired, that's in inerrant Word of God. We believe in the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We believe in salvation by grace through faith. We believe in total depravity of all humans. And yet as these researchers drill down and ask evangelicals more about what they believe, half of the people that they surveyed said that Jesus was God's greatest creation. Jesus is God's greatest creation. But you go to John 1, 1, and you hear, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Jesus was not created. But there's a little bit of truth that's been thrown to the ground. He even goes further, 25% of the people surveyed, y'all, we can't say this, 25% of the people surveyed that all people basically are really good when you get down to it. Well, Genesis 12 tells us, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. There is no one good. Jesus said, there is no one good. But here we are believing this. Satan has infiltrated marriage. He's infiltrated gender. He's chipped away at our faith to the point that in, the, in, our, uh, in our civic sphere, there was a, calif no, 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 a 
Missouri councilwoman who took her oath of office on the Dr. Seuss book, Oh, the Places We Will Go. She didn't put her hand on the Bible. She had to raise her right hand. She didn't put her hand on the Bible and say, so help me God. I guess she put her hand on the Dr. Seuss book and said, so help me green eggs and ham. I don't know what, but that's what she swore her oath on. Satan's third order of business is to disrupt doctrine. We're almost through. Evil oversteps itself. No matter how great the person is, the greatness is limited by God. Satan has a pattern. The last point, evil will be defeated. The cure has already been delivered. Verse 25, and he shall even rise up against the prince of princes, and he shall be broken, but by no human hand. God intervened. Antiochus Epiphanes was defeated. God intervened again. He sent his son Jesus, who was in the beginning with God, and Jesus defeated Satan once and for all. Now, if I were to ask you why does this matter, what would you say? All of this, all of this, 30 minutes worth of talking, big history lesson, what would you say if I asked, why does this matter? And you would answer this way. Pastor Randy, if I know how things are going to work out, then I'm not going to be as afraid, and I'll be able to stand when hard times come. That's the whole message. That's what it's all about. If I know how things are going to work out, then I'm not going to be as afraid and I will be able to stand strong when hard times come. You see how wise God is making us? We pray for wisdom and God leads us to the Old Testament. He shows us story after story of how he operates in human affairs. God is so predictable. He never changes. He is always perfectly trustworthy, perfectly holy, perfectly truthful, perfectly just, perfectly merciful, perfectly kind, perfectly good. And he wants us to know this because he knows that we will suffer, that we live in a place that's overrun by evil. And if we know how it's going to work, we won't be as afraid and we'll be able to stand strong when hard times come. One of the most difficult things in the world is going through something and think that this will never end. And God's wanting us to know, yes, it will. Yes, it will. I have it under control. There is a cure, and I am the cure. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I, I thank you for this text. I thank you for the message. And Lord, it, it, it falls on our ears right now as, I guess, as a lecture, as a history lesson, some facts. But Lord, I pray that when that moment comes that we need it, your Holy Spirit will call this to our attention. I pray, Lord, that times get better. I pray that there's an awakening in our land. I pray that there's a revival in the church. I pray that we could have peace. But, Lord, I'm very concerned that those things aren't going to happen, that you are fulfilling Romans 1 at this very moment, that your hand has been removed and you are allowing people 
to have and do as they will. And if they do, and if that is what you're doing, then this barbarism that we see around us is only going to get worse. And Lord, as we read Scripture, we'll see that even some of the people that we believe are among the elect will join the barbarians. And times will get hard. And those times remind us, Father, that you are in control. That there is a cure. That this will last for a season. But one day, Jesus will come again. There'll be a new heaven and a new earth. And that we will be there. Help us to see it with reality. Help us to know it in our hearts. Help our hearts to burn and yearn to walk so closely with you that we'll remember that every minute of every day. Father, I pray that your spirit would be stirring even now in our hearts that we would follow Jesus. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for another episode from FBC Gray. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss a single message. For more information about First Baptist Gray, visit us online at fbcgray.org. We hope you'll join us next week as we continue helping people find Jesus and give Jesus away. Thank you.